Hey, if you're invested in the Las Vegas mayoral race, and really, we should all be, you're going to want to check out the Nevada Independent Mayoral Forum on Wednesday, May 15th at the Fountain Blue. The Indy CEO, John Ralston, will be moderating a live panel with the three frontrunners. You know, it could get spicy, so don't miss it. Tickets are available at thenevadaindependent.com slash events. And as a bonus for CityCast Las Vegas members, we've got two pairs of tickets we're giving away tonight. So make sure to join at membership.citycast.fm if you haven't already. Hey, Las Vegas. Our new governor, Joe Lombardo, gave his lengthy State of the State address on Monday, laying out his agenda and all the places he wants to spend our revenue in the coming year. But what does our Republican governor actually have the power to do, considering we have a Democratic legislature? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, our guest is April Corbin Gurness, deputy editor for the Nevada Current. She's here to break it all down. It's Thursday, January 26th, 2023. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Good morning, April Corbin Gurness. Thank you for joining us on CityCast Las Vegas. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you just wrote an article regarding the Democratic-controlled legislature's response to Governor Lombardo's State of the State, that lovely one-hour talk. (laughs) What are the main reasons that they're going to be butting heads in the coming years? You know, I I think Democrats made it really clear that some things are totally off the table for them in terms of compromising. First and foremost, I'd say like election reform. There's just certain things in in the election reform space that Democrats have said they're not willing to put on the table. They they have absolutely no interest in rolling back uh, universal mail ballots, which we've used for the last two elections now. Mm. You know, they've pointed out that 50 percent of people, you know, have voted via mail. And that seems to be a really popular option for people, and, and they see it as access, and that's something that's non-negotiable to them. So that's something that's sort of totally off the table in terms of being willing to scale that back, which is something that Lombardo called for in his state of the state. Yeah, and by scaled back, what did he mean? He means that you know prior to the pandemic, if you wanted to vote via absentee ballot or mail ballot, you had to request one. Um, and then because of the pandemic and everybody not wanting people to congregate in, in long voting lines, we, we moved to an all universal mail ballot, which means everybody who was an active registered voter received a mail ballot. And then Democrats in the last legislative session made that permanent. Okay. Uh, so now it's going forward. We're all going to get mail ballots if you're an active registered voter. And Lombardo and a lot of Republicans want to reverse that. They want to go back to the old system where not everybody gets mailed a ballot. Okay. So they, they wanted to be back to request by request only. Correct. And then that wasn't the only thing. Criminal justice also was a really popular thing that Democrats really pushed and worked hard for over the last two legislative sessions. Essentially, what the Democrats did in the last few years was try to defer people from not getting into jail, right? Like using other programs and sort of low level offenses, not 
throwing the entire book at them and throwing them in prison for a really long time because of that. Lombardo would say that it made it easier for people to stay out of jail and they should be in jail. You know what I mean? But Democrats have said it's it's a lot more complicated than that. And in in particular, Speaker Steve Yeager, who um, has led a lot of those efforts and, and is now leading the assembly, said that he is not willing to scale back on those things unless there is proof that the reforms they made are not working. And he says they are working. There's proof that they are working. And so he doesn't want to touch those. And he sort of said that's that's not on the table for us in mm. terms of, of scaling that back. What do you think they'll agree on, if anything at all? You know, there, there are a lot of places that Democrats sort of acknowledge they do agree with Lombardo on and things that are nonpartisan and non-controversial, right? So uh, Lombardo in his state of the state made a promise to give cost of living adjustments, give raises to all of the state employees, 8% cost of living adjustment, which is significant. They haven't had that in sort of like decades. And then a 4% raise in the next fiscal year after that. So you're looking at a pretty significant boost in salaries for state employees. He suggested even higher raises for people in public service, like cops, like state cops and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then all of that is designed to try and boost employment of in-state agencies, because state agencies right now have something like overall, it's like a 25% vacancy rate. So it's really high. And certain departments like uh, the Department of yeah. Corrections, for example, it's almost like one third of, of officers are sort of they're missing. So we have really, really high vacancy rates. And for years, our state agencies have said that low salaries are the reason why people don't want to work for state government, that it's they can get better jobs in the private sector so that they need an investment in public funds. And that's something Democrats have agreed on and that Republicans agree on. There's also an agreement that our K through 12 education system is underfunded. Lombardo's called it historically underfunded. He used those words, which some other Republicans have said that that's not the case, but he's sort of made it clear that he believes that. He's promised an additional $2 billion in the budget to K-12. Democrats sort of cheered on that. They said, yeah, we do need more money. That might be something that we see some debate on what exactly the level should be and what part of the education system should it be funded? Uh, Because there is some wiggle room. That's the part I'm curious about. (laughs) Because it sounds like he has a lot of plans to spend money, but there's little talk of revenue. So that $2 billion for education, that 8% cost of living increase for state employees. How realistic are Governor Lombardo's goals? You know, Lombardo is really lucky in that he's inheriting a really healthy budget, right? Hmm. So when going to the current biennium that we're in, the two-year budget cycle that we're in, at the beginning of this, it was set in the pandemic and economists had no idea what the economy was going to do and look like. And everybody was scared. We were like, oh, we're a tourism-based economy. No one's going to want to come to Las Vegas. There's going to be a recession. There's going to be crises after crises. So they were really, as they should have been, conservative about how much revenue they projected Nevada to receive. And that's why we saw some scaling back of things. Like we had some education programs that were cut. The higher ed system took really big hits. So we saw some scaling back. And then what happened in reality was that we beat all of our revenue projections by something like just like billions, like millions of dollars on top of this. Um, and I think even sort of baffles economists is the the strip and the casino industry. Gaming did really well. They set record levels of gaming win for year, month after month after month. And they sort of scratched their head because they didn't really know why it was doing that. But it did it. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and no one's going to complain about that. And right. obviously... 
We've seen what inflation has done to sort of prices of everything. Eggs. One <laughs> eggs. Yeah, eggs are like $10 now, right? So but you know, one beneficiary, I guess, of that is that sales tax is obviously based off the product. So when everything goes up, you're collecting more sales tax, which means the state gets a lot of revenue oh, or more no. more revenue than in particular. So the that has sort of built up the state budget so that Lombardo is inheriting um, just sort of a bigger, healthier budget. And he does have the money to do this right. if you look at the budget. So if people are wondering why, it's because the last two years didn't suck as much as everybody thought it was going to. It just broke my brain because I'm like, yeah, duh, state tax goes here, sales yeah. tax goes here, like that little component. Wow. Math. You just made the math math. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden-up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. You mentioned education. What is Governor Lombardo's primary goal there? You know, one of the things that Lombardo campaigned really heavily on was the idea of school choice, which is a sort of umbrella term that means expansion of charter schools, often expansion of private schools and education vouchers, which essentially are public money paying for private school tuition for people who may not be able to afford private school on their own. Some very controversial stuff in, in the education space. And so he ran heavily on, we're going to expand school choice. So a lot of us were waiting for the state of the state to see what specific policy proposals he would propose. The thing that he ended up proposing in the state of the state was a $50 million funding of opportunity scholarships, which is a voucher-like system that pays for private tuition. It is would be historic in the sense that it is the highest amount that Nevada perhaps could fund to opportunity scholarships, but it is by and large much shorter and much smaller than a lot of school choice advocates were hoping for. Mm. I think a lot of people were hoping that Lombardo was going to be pushing a sort of universal voucher system where every student could have access to this money and pull it out and go to a school. That right. Where does that money come from? <laughs> exactly. So it was really scaled back in terms of what he's saying. That was kind of uh, surprising, I think. I think a lot of us were expecting something uh, a little more concrete and a little more expansive. Lombardo was defending that to sort of critics of that, saying that this is a first step. 
So we'll see if he has more plans beyond this in maybe future years, maybe when the the political appetite is a little bit more there. Um, Mm -hmm. As mentioned, Lombardo said that he is doing a historic level of funding to K through 12, an additional $2 billion, which is not insignificant at all. That's a big number. But he sort of said that this extra money is going to come up, is going to come with stricter accountability and stricter transparency. And we're going to demand that our students perform better. So he said, I want results is what he said. And he said, if there's not results, then I will stand before you in two years demanding changes to governance and leadership within K through 12. Kind of a threat almost like here, I'm giving you this extra money. You better do something with it or else. But what that or else means exactly uh, is open to interpretation. So, I mean, Does the governor actually have the power to enact any of these policies without help from the legislature? And like, which ones? (laughs) Yes, that's a great question. The actual budget gets approved by the legislature. So when we're talking about any levels of funding that Lombardo's mentioned, whether or not he said, you know, 50 million for this scholarship or 10 million for this program, and there were a few of those in his speech, all of those ultimately have to get approved by the legislature. Of course, the legislature passes the budget, which then goes to the governor, and then he has the opportunity to veto it. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, that, that does put some restrictions on there. So the legislature could take his budget and just completely ignore it and do whatever they want to do, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they could pass it and then Lombardo could just veto it and it would have to go back to the legislature and then they would have to do it again. And we've seen that at the federal level, right, where the government shuts down because they <laughs> don't pass budget bills. Right. So both parties have to find a middle ground. They have to find like the key here is that le- the Democratic controlled legislature will have to pass a budget that. Lombardo was willing to sign. So again, that's where they're going to meet in the middle somewhat on that. Beyond that, there are things that the governor has direct control over. The state uh, administrative offices and things like that, all of those things fall under his purview and he can change. Like one of the things that he suggested in his state of the state, which was actually pretty well received in certain groups was sort of a realigning of our workforce development. So he, Lombardo made the case that right now workforce development is really splintered across the state. You have higher education institutions doing workforce development. You have local local counties and local governments doing workforce education. You've got Dieter, which is a state agency doing, you know, some uh, programs and stuff for, for, for employment related things. And they're sort of splintered all over the place. So he said, I want to create an office of the workforce, I think is what he called it, that would sort of house all of our workforce development in one place so that it could sort of be better coordinated. And again, that's sort of an administrative level thing that potentially could be really good and sort of streamline that thing and make sure we're not duplicating services and sort of wasting less money on that. That's something that Lombardo has the opportunity to do. Did any of his points during the state of the state come out of left field? Like, did anything just be like, oh, I didn't expect that at all? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, really, I think for some people, it was a reminder that, you know, he is a Republican and he does <laughs> have those go. I don't know. There <laughs> Some people feigning surprise at some of the things you're like, oh, I cannot believe he suggested all these election reforms. Well, you know, Republicans up and down the ballot are pro, you know, scaling back voter access or whatever. So that's that's not a surprise that he came out as strong about it, I guess, might be 
surprise to some people, but shouldn't be, you know? And I think on on some level, if I'm going to analyze it, he's got to know that some of those are sort of non-starters for people, but he's got to say it to sort of appeal to his, his base and the people who voted him into office. So a lot of the state of the state, especially some of the stuff that has made headlines and all of that, is just posturing. And he's got to realistically know that he's not going to make major criminal justice reforms you know, facing this, and he's not going to make huge election reforms based off this. But honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of of things that were too surprising, I think, Mm -hmm. in there. And what about things that were maybe missing from the conversation? Because, you know, we talk very often about that specific subject of people who are unhoused. And so are we talking about the unhoused populations? And where, where does that assistance come from? Yeah, Lombardo did not mention housing during his you know, one hour long speech, uh, which people were surprised about, or, or maybe not surprised, but they were they were upset about Democrats really pushed in their response in their statements that they've made to media since that Lombardo needed to address the issue of housing. Obviously, there are a lot of sort of pandemic programs and assistance programs that are gone or we're scaling back right now as we speak. And housing, while it is flattened out, hasn't gotten any cheaper and even just you know, living as a person and talking that you just know you've heard stories anecdotally of your neighbors having a hard time and their rents been removed, like been have been boosted up. So it is a major conversation among Nevadans, and it is a huge is for most people their biggest bill every month. So housing obviously is is a huge issue that he didn't address within that. Democrats also brought up that he didn't mention reproductive health. Obviously, the state of the state fell on the same week as the what would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and Democrats have really pushed abortion rights as an issue. It is not surprising to me that Lombardo didn't mention that. <laughs> I don't think... I like that he's minding his business. Yeah, right. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's what I need him to continue to do. Yeah, and <laughs> now I think... Uh, Lombardo probably wants nothing to do with that issue. It was it, it hurt Republicans across the nation in the last election. And I think Lombardo benefited from Nevadans feeling pretty secure in abortion rights because of the fact that voters passed a bill in the 90s sort of protecting it. Um, so I think he knows that that's an issue he doesn't want to touch and he's just going to not mention it. How do you think Lombardo's tenure will go? Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I think we're all sort of wondering. The the interesting thing about Lombardo was that he had held elected office. He was the sheriff of Clark County, which is a significant role, but not something that is setting policy statewide, right? So he has, and we've seen that, he has his opinions about criminal justice because he's a cop and you know, re- a career law enforcement official. But we haven't seen him vote on other bills. So now he's in office and everybody's kind of like, well, who is he going to be? Is he going to be like Governor Brian Sandoval, who was a Republican, but sort of universally liked a lot of the time? Like he's a Republican that a lot of Democrats like. He tends to have a good reputation among the state. Will he do that? And Sandoval also did some policy things that Democrats really liked, expanded Medicaid sort of availability and things that not all Republican governors did. So he's, he was a moderate Republican, mm-hmm. right? So everybody's like, will Lombardo be like Sandoval? Is he going to try to like mimic that Sandoval model, which Nevadans really sort of registered with? Or will he be a little bit more like former 
Governor Gibbons, whose administration was largely seen as a train wreck and sort of went back and forth and really butted heads with Democrats, right? And I think it's too soon to tell exactly where he's going to fall on that scale. You know, some things pushing him in the direction of moderation are he hired a chief of staff, Ben Kikeffer, who's a former senator, who as a senator, as a state senator, was widely respected by Democrats. Like he was a senator who sometimes broke away from the Republican Party and voted with the Democrats on key issues, including abortion rights. He's about fiscal responsibility, but not so mm. much a, you know, let's talk about critical race theory and kind of whatever, you know what I mean? He's not one of those Republicans. So I think that sort of speaks to, well, maybe he would be, he'll be more like Sandoval. But again, you know, how much he listens to his chief of staff, we don't know, right? So it's, so we're not sure yet, Mm -hmm. but it'll be interesting to see. It'll be fun to see how it plays out. And obviously the state of the state sort of sets the stage for that discussion and we'll see where it goes over the next few months. Something to look forward to. Let's watch it unravel. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully it unfolds neatly, dang it. <laughs> April Corbin Gurness, thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas this morning. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> now let's get into some news. Seven feet. That's how many feet Lake Mead may not lose. Apparently, the winter snowpack in the mountains will feed into the Colorado River. It won't refill Lake Mead, but we'll take every inch we can get. Also, our annual homeless census is being conducted today by volunteers. This is a necessary step in securing federal funding for programs that will help the unhoused. Curious to learn more? Listen to our past episode, Why Homelessness is Up in Southern Nevada. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you learned something new, why not tell your neighbor to listen? Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon.